Earlier this month, noodle vending machines were placed in malls in Las Vegas and Los Angeles, and the way you pay is through posting a selfie on Instagram. In fact, not only do these machines vend Nissan Cup noodles, but you also have the chance to win apparel, gift cards, video games, and more cup noodles. So you may have seen this coverage of the Food Beast, hashtag Dream Machines across Us Weekly, Food and Wine, ABC, Fox, Up Rocks, Bro Bible, Shout Out, Time Out, Trend Hunter, and plenty more. So of course, we brought on the technical and creative leaders here at Food Beast, the geniuses, Christopher Abu Abdu and Rude Love Cheney. They're the masterminds behind converting these 1970s era vending machines into the social media powered noodle dispensing robots that are out in the wild today. Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth. Editor in chief. And Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news breaking, food porn peddling, viral website on the dot coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. All right. And welcome to the catch-up. Chris, Rudy, welcome to the catch-up. Wow. That's yeah, tight, that, was, right? that was nice. That's tight, right? <laughs> With you, the, did, you did leave off one important qualification that I have to be on this podcast, though, which is that I recorded the intro. You are the vo- you are the official the ketchup. <laughs> you are the official voice of the ketchup more than Eli and I can ever be, Chris. I want you to know that. Well, I appreciate that. Good or bad, you're always the best part of the podcast. <laughs> like when we have a bad podcast, it's just like, well, the intro was good, and when it's dope, people there, still say the intro is good. There is that one review of the intro where they said that the music is too loud and it's very aggressive, which it very much is aggressive and too loud the that's int- how it's supposed to be yeah the intro is supposed to almost set up like a fight right <laughs> like it's good and then we rarely fight on the podcast it's definitely something where when i saw that review on apple podcast that said please turn down i will never listen to your podcast <laughs> if you don't change the intro i was like is this gonna be more than one person but, but thankful <laughs> thankful for us it hasn't been only it only has been one person. Yo, but if you knowledge. guys don't like the intro, leave a review and let us know. <laughs> like, shout out. This I always forget to plug leaving reviews wherever you listen. But if you're listening on iTunes or the Apple Podcast, leave a review. But Chris and Rudy, damn, bro. You guys excited? Uh, like to be on the podcast? I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, that's the obvious one. But are you excited about the success of these dream machines so far? Um, Yeah. I think so. But, but I'd say before we go into the success, I, I want to bring our our audience back into the room that we were, for the most part, all a part of, of how these machines even came into an idea in your guys' brain. Because what I, remem- what I remember is a sarcastic remark slash joke. And... What do you guys, Eli, what do you remember from from that moment? Because I'm trying to bring myself back there and like how it even started. I mean, wasn't the goal, guys, to like 
try to have more people eat cup noodles. Realistically, that's the goal. Like cup noodles, an awesome partner of ours years over year. And we always try to find really fun ways to just put cup noodles in more people's hands. And so it's funny. I feel like we're like, well, you can't just give it away. That was kind of the spark. You can't just give it away. Right, right. You can't just have like a guy standing at a table saying like, hey, you guys want some noodles? <laughs> no, no one's going to say yes. Well, probably actually a lot of people probably would. But the experience of talking to a guy at a table that's just handing you a cup is not nearly as cool as like walking up to a machine and having a really fun interaction and doing something cool with that you've never seen before interacting with social media to get something for free. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's a sample that, you know, you, people, we wanted people to be eating more noodles and came up with, a, I think, a pretty cool way to get them to do it. Why didn't you do the TV segment, man? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. We'll get, we'll we're going to get to that. We'll get there. Well, because from a consumer perspective, if you've gone to any major music festival, if you've gone to any major food festival, you've seen the type of sampling that's done, right? Which is hey, I'm wearing a t-shirt of this brand, you're here and I'm going to hand you this product and or in a best case scenario, you get handed a canvas bag with a product and that's the sole interaction that you're having with that brand. Whether you really want that product or not, you don't know, but people are just coming up for free stuff and they're taking it. I think one of the things that I was flabbergasted about this machine is that People are hyped for the experience to travel. They're not just in a, the right place at the right time. We've got documented experience from people traveling 30 minutes, an hour to these malls to then take a selfie with this machine for the chance at winning cup noodles. I mean, to me, that's just pretty gnarly. Yeah. I mean, they're also granted there are video games in the machine as well. <laughs> but oh, yeah. But like the people that I've interacted with at the machine, like they want the noodles. It's crazy. Like they, if they, like if they win a the Xbox, they're not going to be mad. They'll come back the next day and try to get the machine to spit out, you know, cup noodles the next day. But I mean, going back to that moment back in this very room where we record the podcast, where we come up with some of our wild and wacky ideas. I'm trying to remember like what, where did the vending machine idea come from? Like why, why was it a vending machine? Um, <clears throat> I can't remember exactly why it was a vending machine, probably just because vending machines are kind of cool. Right. Um, and I don't know. I mean, we had some pretty cool interactions with vending machines when we were in Japan. You that, know? I remember you guys talking about your Japan trips and stuff like that. And there's baller machines over there. Yeah. And I mean, even the ones that aren't baller, there's just like, like you walk out of your Airbnb and there's a coffee vending machine around the corner, you know? And it's like, that's super cool. Like, I can just get coffee anywhere. Um, and then I had been watching Black Mirror. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. And uh, and there's this episode where like everybody is like you have like your everything in your life is based off of your like social status and everything has points. And uh, so... Everyone's ranking each other in that episode. I know. Is that the yeah, one you're talking about? Yeah, and I can't really remember the details, but I just remember thinking like, how crazy would it be if we made like a vending machine that would like spit out prizes based on like how cool you are on Instagram. Um, and I think that was like the joke. But then we're like, that's kind of messed up. Like less douche in it. <laughs> yeah. Like how do we walk that back to like something that's actually like kind of cool and fun? And we just came to like, hey, like, uh, 
let's build a vending machine that you just post to Instagram and it'll spit something out. Like that's the trade is you, you put something on social and it'll, it'll give you something. Yeah. And we didn't even think, I mean, there were worse ideas that other people have executed that backfire. Like there used to be, there was, remember guys, the Instagram wall. That's usually, I think that's our bar, right? Yeah. <laughs> to execute something that's better than other worse ideas most of the time. <laughs> but it's funny, the mentality that goes into, you can't give something, just give something away. Right. But once you have a barrier to entry and it seems fun and it is fun, then people come out for it. So here's something that's really interesting. This There's a very interesting phenomenon that I've been noticing with this vending machine that really trips me out is exactly that. There's this barrier to entry and now there's like the stakes are raised, mm. right? And one of the things that Chris has had to remind me about this entire project is like the point is to give away the noodles, mm-hmm. right? Because like people start asking, they're like, well, what does the picture have to be of? Could be anything, honestly. You know what I mean? Could but be a picture is, of your feet. Right. It's interesting though. The machine does say that the photo should be a selfie with the machine. Yeah. Which is when people ask that, it's kind of cool because it makes the assumption is that like it we knows. somehow have an algorithm written that will decide <laughs> if the photo actually includes a, a face and also the machine in the background. Like it's not that sophisticated. Yeah. Well, and like people start asking questions like, what are the rules? Like, what if I like, you know what I mean? And it's just interesting because like realistically you could do whatever you want, you know? And like our job is to just give away as many noodles as we can. And so, um, I don't know. I just, I just think that that side of it is really interesting. Like well, as soon as there's a barrier, it's like the stakes are raised. Well, then it becomes a fun way. Cause there's actually little ways to hack the machine, right? Like, I don't want to put that out there. I'm also not the tech dude, but even as simple as, so when you, first of all, I think we should explain to some folks how the machine works, yeah. right? So you find a machine. One of them right now is at the Del Amo fashion center, probably one of the biggest malls in California. It's yeah. huge, uh, beautiful mall. You walk in, you find the, the, the food beast dream machine. Uh, there's a big yellow button on the on the machine. You press that, right? Yeah, it's comically large. And comically it large. You can't miss it. It looks like a giant yellow zit. Some people Boom. have. Boom. You, you, I guess. It, I want to hear about that. People can miss it. Yeah. <laughs> so you but pre- you shouldn't. You press the button, and then instructions come on this cool screen. And there's three steps. What are the steps? Uh, so the main steps are you. When you press that button, it slides a new screen up with a special hashtag on it. And that special hashtag is what we use to kind of authenticate your session. So what you do is you take a photo, post it on Instagram, in your caption, you have to tag Food Beast, Original Cup Noodles, and then use that special hashtag. Mm-hmm. And then on our end, we're going to basically find out that you posted that on Instagram through their API. And once we find out that the post exists with that meets all the criteria for that vend, then you get something out of the machine pretty much at random. And this happens instantly. So as soon as your post goes live on Instagram, whatever you guys created is like querying Instagram and then the machine lights up and then spits out one of the random gifts in there, whether right. it's cup noodles, Xbox game, whatever. That's baller. So I mean, when, so now that we all have established how this machine works, if you aren't in an area where it is yet um, or you haven't used it yet, 
that's how it works. But you don't, a lot of the, a lot of the stress that I had the first time I used it, and when you guys were testing it in the office, like you you have three minutes and there's this countdown clock. And when you <laughs> press the button, and I'm like, oh shit, dude, I gotta like make my selfie look good. I need to fix my shadows. I don't have time to do all the photo editing I normally do, which is, that's a fun first premise. But guys, if you want at home, you can hack and you can actually just take the picture beforehand. All that our system is working on is it just checks the caption. So in theory, I hate that we're putting that out there, but take a picture with the machine. No, put that out there. Let, Dude, let yeah. people understand how to use it and get through it quick. You know, we, we have like, we have lines lined up at these machines a, a fair amount of the time. So for us to be able to like Speed get people through and, and have as many people have this fun experience as possible. Like, yeah, un, I think it's good for people to understand how to use it quickly. Well, and so going back to that point of like the barrier is like, that's when, when people, their psyches change and they're like, well, what if I create five Instagram accounts? <laughs> cool, dude, do it. Get five cup noodles, that's awesome. Walk away with five cup noodles and feed like five people. Like, you know what I mean? That's like the point of this machine is to give it away. If you're gonna like go through the effort of creating like five new email accounts and like new Instagrams and like all that stuff, like tight, do it. I think that's, I think that's like dope, you know? I was definitely surprised by I knew we were going to have a fun campaign. I was definitely surprised at the level of impact from people lining up mm -hmm. that we had. And I got to experience that firsthand because, well, one, we all didn't necessarily know that we were going to have to restock this machine as much as we had to. And because we didn't know that we had to restock the machine as much as we have to, I was restocking the machine on, on one of those days pretty early on. It was one of the, it was like the second Saturday of Del Amo that. I was stepping in to help do this machine and while I'm restocking this machine and I, you know, I'm Rudy, I'm calling you, I'm texting you, Chris, about like how to restock this machine and, and reset uh, the inventory and all that stuff is I have this audience of 10 people <laughs> behind me that are literally waiting for the machine to be set up. And again, I'm uh, for people that know me, I I'm not really a tech person i'm not that good with my hand so i'm i'm kind of dealing with this i've never restocked the vending machine just opening up taking the layers out resetting the coils is all brand new to me and i have this audience pressure like eight to ten people just waiting for me to be finished and i and and so even though i was uncomfortable in this situation i was also excited because like i never would imagine there would be ten people just at at 10 30 a.m just waiting for this machine to go live even though the mall wasn't even quote unquote technically open till 11. yeah so that was when i knew we had something a little bit special because people were just waiting for it to be refilled so. oh yeah we've had experiences like that i think in vegas the day we we launched that machine there were there was a line there before the mall opened like we walked in to basically turn the machine on and there was like four or five people already like they had taken their photos and wrote their captions and were just waiting to press the button to get the hashtag. And it's been, I mean, we've had some, I think some really cool interactions with people at the machines beyond just them being excited to like, like to the point where they'll stand in line. Like we've talked to people that drove 45 minutes. We talked to a woman who created an Instagram account literally just to interact with this machine, which is like a pretty cool thing to hear as someone who was involved in making is like, wow, we, we made something that someone thought was cool enough that they were going to make an account on 
an arguably evil social media company like to interact with you know like they may be do, doing dubious things with their data and, like that's probably why they didn't have an account up till now but they were like whatever fuck it I want the noodles <laughs> I mean are we gonna the elephant in the room is Chris doesn't even use social media yet he's the dude who built this thing I don't know if it's an elephant but it's, I'm, it's true I'm, I'm curious how you feel about the machine mainly because in the food beast office you're definitely the guy that's not on Facebook. Um, I'm. I don't even know. You creep I, on Instagram, but I don't know if you know yeah, to use Instagram. Yeah. And so, you're definitely building software. One that, I mean, is incorporated with the Instagram API. And then on top of that, there's now hundreds and hundreds of social posts specifically utilizing that technology to vend whatever prizes that they got, right? And right. we've talked about those prizes. So from your perspective, Chris, like how do you just feel about the machine in general? Uh, I've always thought the machine was a really cool idea. And I don't, like my kind of issues personally with using social media are not, they don't really like, extend to other people. I don't really like, I'm not kind of preachy about it. I don't, I don't think other people shouldn't use Facebook or Instagram. It's just not really like experiences that I think add value to my life most of the time. So I just choose not to use the platforms uh, for the most part. But I also think that something's in, that's interesting about using Instagram in the way that we are here is there is like, there's an exchange of value for the people that are posting things on the platform. Like usually, value is extracted in in one direction like platforms are able to monetize off of data that they collect from their users in this case users are able to generate content but then they get something out of it they're, they're getting an opportunity i mean they're getting experience first of all they also have the opportunity to win prizes that have actual values and that's i think like i think it's interesting to think about it in like in the context of the direction that value is exchanged here. And instead of being in one direction, now it's in two. And that's something that like for a long time, influencers have been able to you know, generate value by having like high follower counts and they turn that into like making money off of whatever it is. But now it's kind of in the hands of anybody to show up to these machines, have an interaction that I think is even just on its own is fun and probably worthwhile for a lot of people. But then to also on the other end, get something that actually has cash value out of it. Yeah, I, I actually feel pretty good about that. How fully realized was all of that sentiment when we were in this room building the idea about the machine? Because I want to go back to from this is a silly idea in a room to working with our partner Cup Noodle on like, yo, do you guys believe that this is a thing? Like, can we do this? Do you guys feel good about this? And them like, yep, cool, great idea. <laughs> Right. Let's work on this together. First of all, can we can we talk about how in the room when that idea got pitched and like whatever? Maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe we come back to it. But what what do you mean? This was an idea that was quite lofty. I think. Well, that that's what I want to get at. Is like <laughs> my bad. It was a, it was a silly idea on paper. It's a in a room of of creatives who are just like what are what what are we gonna do next? That's fun and yeah. and valuable to people and to the client and partner that we're working with and then when the idea is a go and there's a green light you two have to figure out how to make this machine a reality like i'm assuming you guys have never opened up a vending machine either uh no no <laughs> like no, before this campaign i yeah. was vaguely aware of them 
<laughs> Chris has been tinkering vending machines his whole life. I actually run a vending route on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> well, ex- you said lofty. Explain to us and our audience what made it lofty and if you knew how lofty it was from the outset or at- was it lofty as you discovered each piece of the puzzle that it required to get to the finish line? Yeah, I would say I had no idea how lofty of an idea it actually was um, because I tend to like think in that sort of idealistic nature and and then um, I'm sure oh, future Rudy will figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then as like challenges, we'd sort of, it's like a video game, right? You just, every level, there's like these new challenges and this new boss and then when you finish it, you're like, ah, oh, that was like the hardest part. And then the next thing, and, and you're just like, oh God, like this is really insane. Um, and what's the first stage of that video game? Acquiring the video game, uh, acquiring the vending machine. <laughs> so yeah, what, what, what does that look like? So um, I decided, um, I was like, okay, it's time to get a vending machine. And, and my thought was like, we're going to get, um, and I feel like I'm going to do some inside baseball right now, but I, my thought was like, we'll get something on Craigslist. I'm going to get a vending machine and it'll just be something old and easy to work with. And we can just bang it around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter what we do to it. It's, we can just mess with it. And so that's the machine that we got. And how much did it cost? And where did you get it again? I got it on Craigslist <laughs> for $400. <laughs> And I, I picked it up one morning from this guy. He helped me load it into my truck <laughs> and I brought it to the office and shit weighed like 600 pounds. Almost went through the floor of our lobby. Yeah, almost <laughs> went through the old wood floor of our lobby. And um, and I just like opened it up and we just started looking at it, you know, just like figuring out <laughs> how. how. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reliving this moment. Though. <laughs> They're just like staring and head scratching like huh yeah and <laughs> so like, that's that's what that looks like the, okay so there's this really funny thing that happened to me too a lot of times while working on this project is because i know it would look like i'd just be standing around not doing anything and i was really self-conscious about it because i'd just be standing with like my phone like just looking in and i'd just be like man like everybody at foodbees just walking by me like this motherfucker is over here not doing shit right now (laughs) just like staring off into space touching wires pretending he's doing something and but it's like all necessary right to like figure out how to make this thing work and but you know what what ended up happening is we'd start to peel back the layers right we'd start to learn okay like certain vending machines run on certain protocols and they have a board a computer board and that's what does all the logic Okay, do we want to do we want to tap into that board and tell that board what we want it to do or is that too hard to reverse engineer? Okay, fuck the board, tear it out. The board's gone. No, clip all the wires. Also, cool. okay, just for context Sorry, here. Okay. No, no, that just that quick 30 second thing, that was like 2 weeks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, figuring out whether you wanted to use the current board in the vending machine Versus rip it out and replace that computer with a different computer. Was well, it, and it was, sorry, it wasn't even a computer. It's just as a board. And so we were trying to figure out like where in the stack of the technology that's in this machine right now, like where does our technology fit? Well, Do and we, at some point we blew something up on the board. 
and right. we no longer could use it no matter what we wanted to do. That was and the absolute sh- deciding factor. And, and you shocked yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you shocked yourself with like a decent amount of voltage too. Yeah, it was a good uh, one. I mean, yeah, so we're like literally there with like prongs, right? Like touching electricity to different metal stuff to see like what spiral turns. And at some point we're just like, dude, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I, I, we can't crack the code of like what goes where. So like, whatever, unscrew it, tear it out. And, and from that point, then it's like, okay, now we just need to turn the motors and we need to turn specific motors. Okay. But that's mind boggling to me for someone that doesn't understand technology. Like you guys, you guys just took the only thing that I might remotely know how to turn the rotors and just said, yeah, we blew it up and then we ripped it out and we're going to still figure it out. That sounds like I would be so scared. I would be like, I just blew it up. We need another machine. Dude, like, that's, that's literally how I would think because there's no way I'm going to figure out how to turn the rotors without the board. Yeah. Well, so then there was a moment where like after we blew that piece up, we were like, well, was that just the part on the board or was that the mode? Maybe yeah, we did do. We motor? didn't even know which part we blew up. We just knew something blew up. So we had to kind of take it apart and figure out, oh, no, okay, the motor still works. So we're good. We just now need to get this motor to turn. And then once you like, when you strip away all the complexities of the like, the currency counting stack and the, all of the like, the interface for pressing buttons and it determining what position you're trying to speak to and all that when you take out all of the like peripherals right and just get down to like the shelf and the motor then you get to build everything else around it and and you get to decide like okay what what are we going to what plug horrible into this way motor? am i going to design this machine <laughs> exactly yeah Dude, it was probably a really good design to what we just blew up and threw out but (laughs) we couldn't figure it out so we moved on (laughs) oh and that's something that you know that's part of like this part of this whole process is like you you have a threshold of like pain that you're willing to endure right in something and at some point you're just like nope nope we're done on like right like no like blow it up and move on one of the craziest things too i think for our audience to consider is that when something blows up and then you take two weeks to figure it out and then now know that you have a new story to begin, new journey to begin without that piece, is you're still on a static timeline. Right. Is that we still have, we had a date, a flight date for these machines to go live, whether you experience that board blowing up in week one or in week seven and to me, I know that I now know that took two weeks. I don't remember which two weeks those were. Same. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, to me, that was part of the mind boggling part of if that blew up, that could have real time repercussions. But we were still launching yeah. the machines when we needed to launch. Them I can recall many meetings where like we're sort of doing like a status update and I'm just like and, and everybody's looking at me and like you're not in these ones. But I'm like, they're like, what's up with the vending machine? I'm like, yeah, it's. It's coming along. <laughs> We're good here. And then Annie's like, okay, so we can do the influencer event this day. And I'm like, um, I think we should push that back two weeks because I want to make sure that, you know, Chris can get all his stuff done. And like, I'm good. But Chris is like, you know, really dragging his feet on the whole like software thing. That's actually pretty fair early on. There was some complications with the software. Yeah. Specifically in interfacing with Facebook. What When... When the board blew up, was that the first time 
quote unquote future Rudy was mad at past Rudy? <laughs> was that something where, <laughs> like, because a lot of the planning, right? You didn't know until you were in it. Yeah. But was that, or were there other moments where there was just frustrations to a point where you didn't know if the next journey or the next turn of the corner was going to lead into success? Yeah. I would say that <laughs> happened a lot. Um, that probably happened up until like the night before the first machine went out. Yeah, definitely. And I was telling Chris something and he very graciously talked me off the ledge, but I was telling him about this thing that I've experienced in this project, which is that when we're sitting in this room ideating, it's this super lofty, crazy idea. Right. And it's like, holy shit, if we could do that, that would be so cool. And then like when the deal's sold and I'm there standing in front of the machine, scratching my head, it's like, no, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing like, if I do the bare minimum of my job, I will get this grandiose, amazing machine done. Sure. And that's like kind of a weird feeling to experience where you're just like, it's no longer like, dude, if I pull this off, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's like, no, if I pull this off, I just did what I said I was going to do. And that's like kind of a crazy like you went from head- dreamer to doer like yeah. real quick. And that's a crazy headspace to be in because like all of a sudden you're like, yeah, when when you're up against something, we're trying to figure out power relays. We're trying to figure out Facebook app approvals. We're trying to figure out, you know, how the motors communicate with the computer and cellular and all this stuff. And like you said, things that um, where you don't know once you break through that challenge, if you will actually you know, if you're turning a corner or not, you know, um, and that's, uh, it's a, a very interesting feeling. I think it's sure. funny cause we're in an open floor plan office. Like, so it's not like Rudy and Chris or you guys are tinkering and we're in the basement. basement. Oh, no, we're in the fishbowl. So when you guys, when it fucking exploded, whatever it exploded, we're, I'm like on the second floor and all I hear is, Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Oh shit, dude. Fuck. One, I hope they're okay. I never two. should have trusted these two idiots. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then Rudy like calls me down. I forget what day. It was probably like early on in the process. <laughs> and Rudy's like, hey, man, you want to see something cool? I'm like, hell yeah, bro. He's like, oh, finally, I was like, the machine's going to work. He's going to show me some stuff. And I walk up to Rudy and he's working on like one tray. There's like coils out. I'm like, this doesn't look like a finished machine. What are you going to show me, dude? I don't care. And then he's like, just dude, watch, push this little push this little part here. I'm so excited. I'm just going to push whatever. I'm like a little kid in a candy store. And then I touch it and it zaps the fuck out of me. <laughs> and See, I that's, not, that's not how office. I remembered it. Yeah, I, remembered it. I remember, what you, remember? you walking up and uh, Rudy prompting you to touch something. And as soon as you touched it, Rudy went, ah! And you, <laughs> you just, from, you. just from the sound of Rudy's voice, jumped back in cowardice. Yeah, you know I didn't actually shock you, right? Next question. There was no... <laughs> Next was, question. There was absolutely no electricity running through that. Through that. But I, so what's funny that you mentioned that, though, is because I remember multiple times where we had the prototype shelf out and I have the, the little numbers, you know, on the, the phone. And I'm like, Jeff, come up here. Check this out. And I'm like, watch push this and he like pushes number one yeah and number one spins on the shelf and i'm just like check this shit out man i'm like super geeked and i, and I was doing my best to also be like hyped for this moment yeah like fuck yeah the rotor's turning Woo! even though in my head i'm like we have so yeah. far to go <laughs> yeah oh man Whew. yeah there were a lot of moments where that we were like yeah we have so far to go but there were also, I mean, just to come back to 
Rudy, you were talking a little bit ago about um, like turning corners and hoping that there was success around them. <laughs> there were like, there were a handful of points where, where really we weren't sure and we would turn a corner and we would see a new problem, which is what you do. And you solve those problems as they come up. But there was a point where I think we were like a month out and it just really felt like heavy crunch time. And we really just needed to like, we needed to really turn corners and hit real successes. And I remember we both just kind of like, we're in this mode where we were just putting our heads down and everything was just like, whatever comes, we're just going to solve it no matter what it is, no matter what it takes. Like, there's no more questioning of like, can this be done? It's all like, this no, is getting yeah. done. And then I watched that Firefest documentary <laughs> at that same time. <laughs> and Billy's like telling people that. And I'm like, that's my inner monologue talking to me right now. Do I need to fucking whistleblow myself? Like, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. Well, but... There, I do remember though that, uh, being in a point where we sort of reached a rhythm where it was like, like, no problem, no problem can't be solved without like a piece of code or an angle grinder. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. It was just like, we got a, we got a shelf the day we were supposed to leave before Vegas. Sorry, Disney, you probably don't want to hear this, but we got a shelf the day we, the day before we were supposed to leave for Vegas. It was the only one I could find in the country. It was in Florida, and the guy wouldn't ship it expedited because he's an ass. And I was like, dude, I'll pay, I was like, dude, I'll pay you two hundred dollars to send this thing like two day, you know? Uh, and he was just like, no, ground here you go. And um, which shout out to all the old grumpy white men that I had to deal with in this <laughs> trying to acquire vending machine parts and whatnot, but um. This shelf came and we we're like, great, it's here. It's here a, a day before we have to leave. Perfect. And we open it up and, um, God, what was wrong with it? The well, shelf it plug was in the wrong place, right? Um, like, so the plug where it attaches into the back of the vending machine, total wrong place. Total wrong place. Oh, wow. Uh, the wheels were f fucked up. The wheels it. are like a literal drawer, right? Like if someone's yeah, pulling out a drawer yeah, in a like closet and a... Right. So quick breakdown on what a, a vending machine shelf looks like when you take yeah. it out of the machine. Yeah. So there's wheels on either side and there's channels on the machine that those wheels sit on and you push it backwards when you want to put it in. When you pull it out on the back, there's this... Uh, there's about 18 prongs that run along the back of it. And each one of those prongs on the other side... Well, not each one of them. There's not 18 motors. On the other side of those prongs are wires that run to the motors on that shelf. Uh, in the back of the machine, there's a socket that those prongs fit into. So when you push the shelf back into the machine to close it up. It like locks into place. It locks into place. Well, exactly. not just that, but so like because the, the shelf has to be pulled out for it to be refilled, right? Restocked. Right. And so like is somebody going to like rewire it every time they need to restock a no. vending machine shelf? Yeah, right. So like it has to just be like, boop, plug right in. Yeah, and so if, in this case, the shelf that we got, the prongs were like four inches to the right and like two inches too high. So we had to basically take apart the back of the shelf and just drill holes through it and angle grind yeah, we the mounting. We drilled it, we grinded it, we glued it, we taped it, we screwed it, we like rotated motor. Like we just, it's just one of those things where you're just like, do it, do it, do it, do it, because that's all you can do at that point. Did you guys... Because 
as the deadline became closer, I mean, you guys are also talking about like day before you're leaving for Vegas in a truck with the machine in it, all your parts still in California, all of your tools for the most part still in California. So there is obviously looming deadline on the line in a lot of these situations that you had to turn a corner. Do you think the psychological aspect of knowing that there was a deadline made it possible for it to happen in so short of a time because for me i'm I'm definitely a procrastinator right and so when i have whether it's a project or a proposal or whatever even for like a speaking engagement in front of i don't know a thousand people i keep putting it off typically until whatever time I start getting nervous about it. And then that nervous energy propels me to figure out whatever I need to figure out until it's done, no matter what obstacles I didn't see. That's me, but I'm curious if having that deadline became the superhero psychology that allowed you to know. If that wasn't it, what propelled you to have that mantra of whatever problem, we're going to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I think timing had something to do with it, you know, and and part of it is, you know, it's not just like we're sitting around deciding not to work on the vending machine. It's really a balance of like, well, people need things from me. I have other responsibilities. We have other responsibilities. So balancing the time of working on this versus working on other things. But yeah, at some point, it's like, we're getting in a truck and we're driving to Vegas and here's all the things we know need to work by the time we get in there. Um, and, and they're just, they're going to get done. And so I think my question is, did you guys experience enough of a rhythm to have confidence or was there another factor? Like the client is going to be pissed. So we have to figure this, like what's the bigger motivating factor for you guys to get through every turn for you personally. And that might be different for both of you guys, but I'm curious because I think there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast for the entrepreneur side. And I think there's a lot of people who listen, who are going to have a project with obstacles that are similar to yours because Rudy, we've talked about this before. It's the mantra of, uh, yeah, we can do that. Whatever we say we pitched, no matter how big the idea is, we want this opportunity and we think we can do it. And we're sowing, saying, yes, we can do it, even though we've never done it before. So I'm curious like where the motivation came from, no matter what's in front of me, it's going to be solved. Uh, I think for personally for me, the motivation was primarily just internal of understanding like, I mean, you're talking about you pitch this idea, you sell this idea, you don't necessarily know every step that it takes between start and end, but you know that you can reach that end. Everything about the concept was something that we understood that we could do. And then at that point, it was like, wow, this is probably one of the coolest projects I've ever worked on in my life. I care a lot about the execution of it. I want to do this just on a personal level for me to be able to build this thing that I'll be very proud of at the end. And throughout that you know, throughout the course of, of building it, like Rudy was talking about, there are priorities. You have to prioritize other tasks that we have uh, to take care of. And then you reach, you realize you reach a point where like, okay, I can no longer prioritize other things because of the amount of time I know this is going to take to execute. So that's where like 
there's a little bit of pushing things off and you stay maybe 30 minutes late every day and it's all good. And then there's a point where you're like, oh, okay, no, we still have a decent amount of things to do that we got to get done before we leave. And it wasn't like, if we don't do this, like a client's not going to be happy for me. It wasn't like a client's not going to be happy or like, we're just going to have to push some dates for something and I'll, I won't, I don't want to do that. It was just personally, it was kind of like a personal challenge to myself of like, this was something that, that I committed to do and I know I can do it. And so why would I not, why would I not just push through and achieve the goals that I set out in front of me to give myself that sense of accomplishment and pride and happiness on the other side? Because there was like, while there were challenges, none of them were so daunting or felt so impossible that it felt like we couldn't do it. And I think a big part of that was... It just felt like we didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. There were points where I know it was, we can do this, <laughs> God damn it. I really don't want to. Right. But the, I think like a big part of that is working with Rudy's, the, the kind of guy that when you're in the trenches, like he's going to stick with you through all of that. And there's never like... There are plenty of times where we look at each other and we're like, oh man, this sucks. <laughs> But it always like follow, we like crack a couple jokes, laugh about it, and then both of us are like head straight down to get back to whatever we're doing. And that like having like a team that you work with that you know you can kind of just run through whatever with, it it helps. It motivates you too to like to know that we're gonna do. Not only like am I gonna build? I didn't build this, right? Like we built this. And at the end, it's not just my personal pride. It's like the pride of the team that I work with too, and that's important to me. Was it motivating just knowing that nothing like this was out there? Yeah, for sure. That was, I mean, to know that we're doing something that is new and that hasn't been done and that even more importantly than that, that I think is personally, like personally, I believe is really cool. Mm -hmm. Like that, that I think for most things in my life is the main motivator for me. Yeah. I think I had a lot of external motivations like that in the beginning, client motivations. Like we made a commitment um, motivations of like, this is something that's kind of like the first of its kind type of thing. But I think the, the, probably the last four weeks before the last maybe three, two to three weeks before we launched the first machine, like my motivations were like purely inside within that. Cause that's all I could see was like, this is just, I have to do this and I could think about why I have to do it or why I want to do it, or why other people need me to do it. But I couldn't really see that stuff. I, it's hard to explain. I really couldn't see that stuff. It was just like inside me, this has to happen. It was cool towards the end. So I mean, those last couple weeks leading up to it, they're on the marketing side. Now we have to figure out, okay, cool. Like I'd, I'd look at Mark, I'd look at Jeff, and I'd be like, if this machine works <laughs> by the time. And again, there's a schedule, right? So there's a schedule. If the machine is going to show up somewhere on the first of the month, we have to shoot a video at least a week and a half before. Right. So in my head, I'm like moving Lego pieces in my head. I'm like, even if it doesn't work, how do I fake it for the video? Right. How do I do it? And what was cool is the first day that you guys invited everyone downstairs to to try it out for the first time, to get some footage of it, to shoot the news video that we eventually launched. I was expecting to have to work around issues. And it was super cool to go up to the machine, actually press the button, actually upload an Instagram photo to my feed and have it kick out a cup noodles. 
And at that moment, I was like, damn, no one's faking this shit. Like, this is real. We could just film right now. And I was like, that is crazy exciting. It was something so stupid, so simple. But to see like the culmination of you guys tinkering to make coils spin through one button outside of the machine to the full rendition of how someone that we hope is like a kid, super stoked to try to try this machine in public, that they're going to get that experience. That was badass. That was badass. So were there, what was the biggest like, oh shit, this like, fuck, like what? Like I know a scale of one to 10, there's a bunch of shit. Like one being, that's just a little hiccup, whatever. I'm going to refresh my computer to 10 is like, dude, I'm going to go home for the day. I can't deal with this shit. What's one thing? Like, can you remember? I think my, this wasn't really like a big, like, oh God, this could like derail the whole project moment. Uh, but for me, we had ordered a set of spirals for the second machine <laughs> that would. Uh, Sorry, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> because cup noodles can only fit in a certain size spiral. Sure. Um, and you can, the spirals that they're supposed to fit in from the factory aren't the right size. So there's a company that makes aftermarket <laughs> size spirals. <laughs> for a 1970s vending machine for cup noodles. Yo, we're going into the weeds. I know, I know way Dirty too much shit, about dog. this stuff right now. Yo, the the aftermarket vending machine. Yeah. So that's Spi hilarious. Spiral black market. So um, shout out to DNS vending for fucking up my shipment. Um, so this is that podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we basically had to take all the old spirals and stretch them by hand and cut them with a grinder. <laughs> I didn't like, know you had to do that. It's dude. like it's like I don't even know. It's like whatever, forty spirals that we had to stretch by hand, and like and then cut with a grinder, um, and then put them in the machine. And then they're kind of wonky because shout out to I, William Wonkus. To, shout out to William Wonkus because we stretch them by hand, uh, and so then they don't want to stay in in this in the motor lock, right? Because they're kind of wonky. So. And we got to stretch them and bend them and glue them and do all kinds <laughs> of stuff like that. And I just remember seeing that and my hands just like hurt so bad from pulling these spirals apart. And I was just sitting there like, God, what? Why? Why <laughs> Jesus? Why <laughs> Jesus did I do this to myself and Christopher? You know what I mean? But uh, that was one of the moments where I was, I was just like, dude, I'm fucking done. I'm going home. I'll do this in the morning. I'm done with this. All right. So the first machine is getting placed at the Del Amo Fashion Center. We tier it, right? We want people, we're going to experience it in LA first, and then we're going to bring the other machine to Vegas. Jeff, I, Annie, some other people on our team, kind of, we're going to like make sure people see the machine that you guys have worked so hard on. Which also becomes more and more terrifying to me <laughs> as time goes on, right? Because, well, I mean, it does because I'm just like, and that's like, almost like fear of success, right? Cause I, it's no longer like, oh, like I have to make this and it you, needs to work, but I have to make this and a lot of people are gonna use it and see it. Do you know um, a lot of people would use it? That's faith, dog. You said, I mean. <laughs> it was tight. Yeah. I didn't know. I, honestly, did, I didn't care. Sure. That's That was <laughs> your job. I, I did my job. I made the machine. You guys get people to go fucking use it. That's, and we're good here. Well, and you did. Thankfully, you guys, you guys did too good of a job. You did and a now we have job. to restock it way too often. Well, I appreciate you, Ethan. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll shout out to people that, that, that have worked on this machine. But so we show up in this room in the morning and I think we had a press release going out and our video had launched already. Like we launched the video over the weekend and our news video style on Food Beast kind of shows people, it hypes it up like, oh, these two magical machines have showed up around the country and they dispense free noodles and you just use Instagram to do it. And we're like, all right, that video's, I think it's doing well. Two million views right now, just cross that. And, but the first day that we're in here early in the morning, it almost felt, I was with Jeff, Annie, uh, Teresa, some other people on our team. And I now had a sense of pride. I'm like, dude, I can't let Chris and Rudy down. Like if people don't go to use this machine, like it's cool that you guys have so much pride that you were like just proud of your thing. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, like I want people to, I want a line at this thing. These guys are custom fabricating a machine <laughs> with like, with they're, Rudy mentioned to me that he can now do electrical wiring in his own house because of being able to like work on this machine. I should be able to write a fucking press release and send it out. That's definitely how I felt. Like I, at the very least, I can do what I can do and I better do it to the best of my ability because my hands were never sore from hand stretching metal <laughs> coils for hours. And it was, it was fun because we got in really early in the morning and we just started doing our thing, emailing people, telling people a little bit about the machine. You tell them just enough to feel sexy and you don't want to be like over pitching it. We're giving everyone kind of the sausage making process. And we stopped doing it around 12 noon. Like we were in early and we just stopped working on that at noon. And we're like, all right, I hope someone talks about it. I hope so. Like the video had already done well. So I was proud of the video. But it also not to, not to, pat myself on the back but or our team on the back but it was also six hours straight of just getting trying to let everyone single person in our network that had ever talked about food beast ever to just let them know that these machines were happening and it was also six people in a room mm -hmm. which for us we're a staff of 18 people so when we have a third of our company spending six straight hours doing something, it also, it means a lot to us. Yeah. And I could tell that every person in that room was, there was, there was not a single side conversation that happened for six hours. It was literally like, we'd look up and, hey, should we phrase this this way? Cool. And the same way you guys were like, we, f we hit a problem and we're going straight back down. I watched Annie, Teresa, myself, you, Michelle. Everyone was just like dialed in. And we had no idea if it was going to work. But I'm really proud of how dialed in that team was. And I just wanted to mention that because it wasn't like that was a that was a lot of effort on our side. And Absolutely. Then, you guys really killed it. I appreciate all the hard work from everybody on this. I feel like this was a, a big effort for our company just to kind of across the board. And it's really like I think it's heartening to see like a full team come together and, and work together to execute something. And. And to really see like something that taps into, I think, the wide array of strengths that we have across the company, you know, the fact that we have people on staff that can that can handle. I mean, part of being yeah, a media company is we have the account side of things and we have the PR side of things. And that's something that you guys do every day. We also have like people who were, and I'm going to do a little self congratulating <laughs> here, but we have people on teams that like Rudy, who's able to like conceive of the idea and then to be able to like figure out the electrical wiring and then to be able to frame it correctly through video and talk about it to gauge people's, you know, to get people's attention. It's just, 
I think we really like it hit on strengths that I think span our entire company. And that was really cool to see. Yeah. And then the energy in this room, because we do work in that open office, you mentioned Eli is everyone in this room had watched you guys tinker and toil and work with wiring. And when something <laughs> when I'm so, like grinding stuff yeah, in the middle of the heard- like, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sparks flying in an eight-foot yeah. rooster tail across the whole first to, floor. We had to make the video interns leave because they were getting hit with metal shrapnel. <laughs> we're like, you guys oh, probably should like, so, ship out to the front. So every one of our company experienced this machine and watched you almost literally put it on your back. And there was this level of motivation for anyone who touched the project that wasn't related to machine working, that wasn't related to API configuration, that wasn't related to the coils. However else we could help, everyone was just like, they did the hard work, let let us do play a small role. And that's what it was really fun to see the whole whole team come together over a project. I hadn't seen it since we put on a food festival in Oakland and everyone did that. Everyone pitched in there. These vending machines were literally like the only other uh, project that I can think of. That day, that Monday when we launched felt like a high dive, like climbing up three floors of a ladder and going up to the very top. So we stopped again pitching at like 12 noon after doing that work on on Monday for marketing and pitching is pitching media pitching media yeah and like basically sending emails shaping our story letting them know why this thing is cool and we get pitched so much we we feel like we have a knack of like let's not bore people with certain parts of this shit let's tell them the cool stuff hopefully here's how other people will find value out of this machine so anyway we put in that work and then from 12 o'clock to maybe 3 p.m. that day it's that free fall after jumping from the high dive and wondering if you're going to die when you hit the water (laughs) and wondering if it was worth that climb because for 12 to 3 you're like man i just sent like a fucking hundred emails is anyone gonna write about this thing or or can we even get an email back can we get an email back say something then 301 trendhunter.com front page it's like okay cool i like trend hunter we got one at that that moment i just looked around the team it wasn't completely worthless we got one one, technically if we have to go home with one it wasn't nothing and then five minutes later us weekly it's like oh shit i read that when i was a little kid bro that's a tight magazine i like that shout out respect instagram vending machine uprocks.com love that website and they were starting sourcing each other and citing each other. And it was cool how everyone kind of understood the machine differently. And that when I saw those three or four from websites that like I just read every day, that was an, I was happy at that point. I was like, this is cool. Now I hope people go use the machine and use it and it works and all that noise and it does and it continues to do that. That, that wave is so fun and I hope people that like, share their creative with the world or whatever they're working on get to experience that and it's it's special and it's cool but that's i was like oh this is great this worked and now the message is out and let's see what happens well and and you guys you guys being chris and rudy you guys were mostly isolated to that room right you were mostly isolated to what was happening because i remember walking down like when when us weekly hit (laughs) us weekly hit I'm walking down the stairs and I'm 
I'm joyous as fuck. I'm just like, we are getting validation. We're not getting, we're not getting just tech press. We're not just getting food press. We're getting like pop culture press on these machines, which we had no idea we'd be able to get. We had just experienced that three hours of the high dive where we had no idea if anyone would give one single fuck about what we were doing. So I remember, I knew you guys we're still working on machine two and I come downstairs and I'm like, guys, we just get on us weekly and you guys both look at me and you're like, cool. <laughs> and then you go back to the second machine you were working on. And I was so flabbergasted because I was like, guys, this is working. People are going to hit the machines. I want you to describe what you were feeling at that moment <laughs> yeah. as you, as press was rolling in but you were also still working on the second machine that had to go to Vegas. It's real fun to hear your perspectives on it. It sounds like a great day. <laughs> Chris, Chris, Chris told me that he felt bad because he felt like he was a dick when he came downstairs yeah. and said that. I remember specifically remember yeah. that Us Weekly conversation. Jeff coming down the stairs really excited to tell us about this awesome placement that looking back now, I like, yeah, it's awesome. But in that moment, I just remember being like, Cool. Did we get someone to restock them? Because <laughs> even in, on like day one, we were like churning out noodles at a rate four times faster than we expected and like our wildest projections. So we're just like all hands on deck. Whoever is available, please go stock these machines. And that's at the point too where like, yeah, press has started to come in and we're feeling good about that. And Rudy and I are really just like in the thick of machine two just now we've we finished machine one that one took us a fair amount of time to get right but now we have the the blueprint right so now we're just building the second one everything's gonna be easy that last shelf's gonna come in it's gonna fit right in it's gonna be great <laughs> everything's gonna be tight All the spirals will be here but yeah. yeah that was it was a different experience for us at that time for sure and i think like right now you guys were talking about how it felt like successful to get those first five and then I didn't even know, like, I'm so far removed from the press and media side of what happens with most of the things that we cover or create or whatever, that, like, I don't know what is success. I don't know what's like, like, I saw, we have a Slack channel where we're, like, posting the press that we get on the machine, and I'm, like, getting notifications, like, okay, the, oh, yeah, that's a cool pub. I like them. That looks like we, is that a lot? I don't know. I don't know. If, like, is this average? Is this less than average? Are people covering? I don't know. And then this afternoon, Reach referred to this as like successful to me. And I was like, oh shit, he's in our editorial. managing editor. Managing editor Reach, right? Like he he would know. <laughs> <laughs> and he called it successful. Was this, is this shit, is this successful? <laughs> all right. So we all have different definitions of success based on how, how, how we work on a project. Was, what was your definition of success for the project as you were in it? Oh God, as I was in it or give me both the like, before and after. Okay. Of, yeah. Cause yeah. I think before success, uh, I don't know. Actually, I think it was about, it was actually the same. The before the machine success for me was like, Oh, like it, if it works and the, in the thick of it, success of the machine was like, Oh my God, if this works, <laughs> please, uh, but yeah, I mean, for me, the success was, can we create it? Can people use it? And I had, I felt confidence in you guys that 
I mean, I thought the idea was cool, right? Obviously. And then I felt that I felt confident that you guys were going to be able to like put the shine on it. Cause at this point, at that point, all I had to give was to like, get it done. And that's it. I couldn't, I could barely conceive of trying to get people to go use it, you know? Um, so I think that was really, it was just like, can I get it done? Can we get it into these two places and can people use it? You know? And, and that was like success. I think for me, definitely in the thick of it was just like getting it in there and getting it working. I think the one thing on top of that is, for me was probably just like, will people have fun when they use it? That, mm. Cause that was a big part yeah. of like the way we designed it was very like, purposefully fun like a game it was meant to be like the interaction was meant to be cool and exciting and like we did that and we tested it and i thought it was fun but <laughs> you know you don't know what other people are going to think until you get some people like playing around with it and figuring it out so that was i think the, the added layer for me was like when this gets in the world and people are using it will they enjoy their time that they spend using it Fun is definitely subjective, but there are also things that you guys did that I think <laughs> really made made it actually fun. When you post the photo, right? You post the photo on Instagram and depending on your data speed or your connection to the internet on your phone, you might wait a half second or up to three seconds for the machine to register that post, right? But when the machine registers the post, Hit the slot you, machine, baby. you had the Vegas slot machine lights like go <laughs> yeah. off. And I had no idea when, when I experienced, because I didn't test the machine. So I experienced the machine at the first time with our other, as other people were experiencing it that weren't a part of Food Beast for the first time. And I remember when I when I posted my selfie and the lights lit up, I was like, "You guys had the time to put the lights in? Like this nope, is crazy. no, we didn't. No. But I did it anyway. But it was that feeling of like lights went on, and then I watched. Well, I got a gift card, so I didn't watch like a cup noodles uh, get vended, but I watched my gift card get pushed out to the front and down the machine. Did you guys rig it so Jeff gets a gift card, or was and that I real? was. I was like, Bruh. I was in awe because that little touch of the lights and yeah. then it vending to you was something I like, I was glad I was recording on my phone because that moment just felt no matter what the card was or the cup noodles was, I just felt like a winner. Yeah. And when was something where you didn't throw money at it where you could feel like a winner yeah i just it was it was really fun like really I, really fun there my was, mom thought it was cool <laughs> she used it? that's like literally my only barometer for success i'm sorry does guys. your mom like, think it's cool? i love what i do for a living and uh you know i appreciate everyone who supports it but like it's literally the barometer to me is does my do my mom and dad think it's cool because they like save one hey Eli, this was very cool <laughs> <laughs> once a year i get it once a year this year we got it twice though. Shout oh, out, whoa. two and it's early, bro. First quarter, wow. first quarter. First. It's gonna be a rough rest of the year. The bar is set way too high for it's Lita Aru. Dude, so she was like the noodle machine because she saw it on the news. So like for my mom, it doesn't matter how much she sees in Facebook. She's like, ah, it's cool, whatever. <laughs> but like when like a news anchor is saying something, shout out to news anchors for holding it down for my mom. That's real. Cause like all her housewife mom friends like watch that shit and they're like, she gets there. Like they call her like, I saw Eli on the TV. <laughs> very good. Very good. Very, very good. 
His other videos, I don't know, but the cup noodle machine. خلاص and then <laughs> and then we did the chopping grounds little arabia so when they see middle eastern food on on the on the facebooks it's good but that's you know, that, that's my barometer for same, same as your mom i got a text from a second cousin <laughs> so that's one of those things where like again i know that still like family and food beast stuff reaches friends and family but to get a text message from someone that i don't really talk to just being like cool machine <laughs> like that's it that's all it said i was like I think we're I think we're making waves. Someone that I don't actually talk to in my family is texting me about <laughs> about the machine. There are so many technical elements to this machine that I don't want to get too crazy on it. But is there a spe- is there a specific technical element that you're most proud of because when I was helping write the press release, I had to get myself an own education about what was going on from Raspberry Pis to Instagram API and then how you guys created your own custom vending machine motor API like one I don't I still to this day don't know what all those things like mean exactly yeah but was there a technical element that you guys were specifically proud of because of the expertise it required there are two things specifically that I that I think of at least something that I did and then something that Chris did. The thing that I did that I'm proud of is uh, just like figuring out how to create a production ready, like production ready hardware that could make this machine work. Hmm. Cause that was something I was talking to my mom about it. And I was like, that's actually one of the hardest things to do is like, it's easy to prototype something like under the stairs, making some Frankenstein shit, you know? And make it work with like alligator clips attached to it. And you know what I mean? Like, Rudy uh, literally built this under the stairs. Just <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. for people who don't know yeah. what our office looks like, he was tucked underneath the stairs. Yeah. But like, how do you make that something that can go in a machine and get driven around and get plopped down and still work later, right? Like without stuff sliding all over the place or like getting cables unplugged or wires unplugged and like, you know, just how do you make that actually ready to exist in like the real world? Um, and I, and going through that process, I think is just something that is like, it's very interesting and challenging and fun to figure out. And I'm proud of that. And then I think something that I'm really proud of as far as the technological side of what Chris has done is like creating just cool software you know, like the machine texts us, the machine texts us when it's like starting to get empty. The That's machine so cool. texts us when it gets refilled. Um, <laughs> the inventory is like done on a phone. So like once you fill it up, you, you just go on your phone and it has a little interface and you tell it how full it is and you hit save and it's like updates, you know? So I, I'm just like, I didn't do any of that stuff. So to see it just done and working is like super cool, you know, for me to, and it's very clever and it's cute. And I think that stuff's important because if the machine was like texting us and it said machine empty, like I would just be sad, but I don't know. It's like a funny message. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, I'm empty. Like, please hurry. I cannot function. Refill me ASAP. You know, it's just, uh, and, and I think that's all Chris's genius of just, you know, doing stuff really cool. Just got to channel Hal on those ones. Yeah. Shout out Space Odyssey. Um, once the machine's out in the public, we get a lot of kind of dynamics of how people work. 
too. I think that's what was pretty fascinating as well. Like, did you guys see any, like, so far the machine's been out, what, a, a little over a week? Maybe two weeks? Two, yeah, two weeks at Delamo. Yeah. Um, what have you guys seen? What have you learned about people and how they interact with this stuff? People are entitled to free shit, <laughs> number one. Unquestionably. Yeah. And, and what, what do you mean by that? The things that they want. Mm. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if somebody doesn't win the prize that they want, sometimes they're upset. Mm. Um, also, like, if, you know, if the machine loses cellular signal for, like, a little bit and people can't use it, uh, they're upset because they couldn't get the free noodles that they were just promised one minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, people love noodles, dude. That's I mean, I crazy. get it, dude. I I... I probably wouldn't be super pissed, but I mean, people love noodles. And then you, I mean, we're, we're slightly jaded about things because of the (laughs) aggressive last month that we've had. But I think in general, like when you put something out in the world, you enter into a social contract with the people who use it. And we have built the expectation that you will receive noodles. If you press the big button and post on your Instagram. And if that doesn't happen, it doesn't matter why it didn't ha- it doesn't matter if like the machines run on cellular sometimes if you've ever been at a mall and have AT&T I'm sorry I'm with you I know how it goes it, sometimes it doesn't work sometimes people don't read the instructions super carefully and so there are call outs that say like you have to have a public account if your account's not public there's no way for us to find out about your post because Instagram doesn't share information about private accounts uh with anyone else so it shouldn't right exactly they shouldn't and so we can't find out about private posts and so if we can't find out about that post we can't vend you an item because we don't know the post ever happened so sometimes people don't don't recognize that um handful of people have misspelled hashtags and so i think when like people go up to this machine and they want they want to use it they want to have the experience that they're promised and they deserve to have that experience um but it, there are some things that we can't really account for in software that we can't really like. We can't really cover those bases. Mm-hmm. And so it's there's a little bit of a challenge in getting the hashtags right. It's a game. You're coming you're coming to this vending machine, but it's also a game. Right. It's a game. It's a really easy game. <laughs> but it's a game and there are complexities. And yeah, I think we we can do a better job of conveying some things. I think some people can have better attitudes about <laughs> using it sometimes. Uh, one of the things that we did when you talked about the timer, the timer is really interesting because I think the timer like raises the stakes. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. It's so feel, fun to watch to people. Like, but to a degree that I had no, <laughs> I almost feel bad about setting the timer to three minutes, which I feel like is a ample amount of time yeah generous generous amount of time from, from the average session times creator are, from somebody yeah. who's done this a thousand times already well uh, i mean for the re- average session times are like less than half of that so right people are doing it for They're most good. people it is ample time but my but, heart was racing dude. but there was yeah well that and that's the thing i saw a lady who was like she pushed the button and as soon as the clock like started ticking like her hand was shaking <laughs> <laughs> and and this thing happened in my brain where I was thinking, oh, man, like, is this, is this fucked up? <laughs> like, I have anxiety. Like, for people who have anxiety, is this, like, triggering them, you know? Like, boop. Yeah. Boop. Time is running boop. out. Uh, and also- that's, that's really interesting to see how people react to something that's, like, 
before you were there, you might not have even known you were going to maybe get free noodles. When free noodles are on the line and there's a timer and it's ticking, you know, but it's funny because thinking about it rationally, like, oh, like it didn't work the first time. You didn't do it fast enough. Cool. Hit the button again. You know what I mean? Like there's just so many like other, there's so many ways to continue to try. And right. Make but it that's happen. what comes with. It. It's such a different thing. So many people don't, they've never experienced anything like yeah. this. And so when they come up to use it, they, there's this level of like, oh man, I might, I'm going to get this wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I've never done this. I'm not prepared for this. And I guess and I, like, it's simple to us because we, we made it. <laughs> we've been steeped in this Yeah, and we've done it. Per, I, I created a, finsta just to <laughs> test this you know like i i've posted maybe a thousand times <laughs> to use this dream machine the narrative that other like publications and newspapers are, are running with is that this is a machine powered by instagram as currency do you guys still feel that that's what it is have you learned or do you feel it's any different i know we've had some interesting convos about that as soon as sean McAllister from fox 5 las vegas Oh, super well, shout out. Big time smooth Our, shout out just now. Bro, my, it could it doesn't even come close no offense. No. It doesn't even come close to the level of smooth that this man exudes. Yes. Uh when when he phrased it the way he did, which I don't even remember what he said, but it was something like using Instagram as currency. That's when I was kind of like, "Oh shit, that's what this is." And I mean, that's what it is. Sure. I understand that, but like the way he just phrased it like that, it was really like exchanging an Instagram post for something. Um, and I think I had been thinking about it from a more like abstract social exchange of value for marketing and goods. Right. But really it's just social as a currency, as an actual currency. Yeah, more- see, I don't, I actually don't see it like that entirely. Hmm. I think for a couple of reasons, I don't see it as currency is in in sort of like a true form because that's because that's against instagram's terms of service <laughs> no i don't know that mostly <laughs> <laughs> just a guess <laughs> no, because i mean the main reason i don't necessarily see it as specific currency is because if you were to try to like evaluate an exchange rate right for your post this would be like worse than bitcoin <laughs> like it's so <laughs> It's so inconsistent. It's so, you don't know, like you might get something worth 79 cents. You might get something worth $60. You might get something that's like worth $12. I don't know how much those cup noodles beanies are, but they're super tight. I don't know. I want that more than a game. But that exchange, that because there's this like unpredictable exchange of value, I feel like it's not necessarily, you're not really working with currency here. What what it's kind of more like to me is like um, like a next evolution of a social giveaway. Yeah. So like a lot of brands do things where like if you put up a post and you tag a couple comp- a couple accounts, you get entered into a giveaway. It's kind of a raffle type thing and you get something for free if you get picked out. So that I kind of think of it as like this is an evolution of of that where people are able to like put up a post and that giveaway just happens within fractions of a second instead mm-hmm. of taking mm-hmm. place over a day or a month or however what well, weekend whatever it is. Yeah. And so I th- I kind of think of it that way. I think what I like about it so much was the fact that we run social media influencer events attached to our content all the time, right? And we give a very exclusive set of people with high follower counts and high engagement access to 
food menu items or products or experiences that are built for them, right? Built for them to experience and share with their fans and spread the word and so on and so forth. I, I like what we do there. I think it's a lot of fun. But there's always a part of me that's like, there's tons of people that also want to have this same experience that couldn't pay for it if they wanted to, um, also can't access it because they don't carry this clout. And there's a, there, honestly, there's a little bit of a guilty feeling there that I'm uh, creating this exclusivity and basically hand-selecting the people that can take a part of it. This machine, because of what you guys were able to do from a technology standpoint, really opens that up and like yes you have to be on instagram so that's a caveat yes you have to have a public profile <laughs> you have to have an but, email and electricity and but like <laughs> the but the amount of people that can now access this machine and have a quote-unquote influencer like experience is dramatic i mean we're talking about i'm i think we'll potentially cross over up to up to a thousand posts of more than a thousand posts. We're already way past. Yeah, so we're not. We're yeah. talking about thousands of people experiencing an exclusive experience, and it doesn't matter what your follower count is. It doesn't matter if you carry any of this clout. It just matters if you like it and want to do it. Well, yeah. you democratize the social currency if there was one. Like the idea of an influencer creates a social currency where someone's followership gives them a different value than someone who doesn't have it. So in theory, if you think about these machines using Instagram as a payment method, there's more people that have Instagram than have a Venmo or a PayPal. Like the actual sheer volume of those things make Instagram in this scenario, a better payment method, a more accessible payment method than a Venmo. You don't need a bank account to use this machine. You don't need a bank account to open an Instagram. You need that for a Venmo, a PayPal, an Apple Pay, all of that shit. So again, we're making a big fuss about using Instagram to get cup noodles out of a machine. But in theory, we democratize that because your post, if you're my dad with 10 followers, you can use that machine and you get this, your weight and value is the same as Kim Kardashian with her 130 million Instagram followers. She's going to have the same access to that machine as you do. So I think that was really fun to see. And there, there is that guilt when we use Instagram influencers to promote things. And this was more about us, regular people getting to use something and getting something out of it. Right. And that's something that like, Beyond just being like fun to think about is something that for me is like really important about this program. Like I, I don't think I would feel comfortable writing code that dispenses a better prize for someone with a higher follower account that goes so much against like just personal beliefs that I yeah, hold. You told me that a couple of times. I remember. Right. I'd be like, should we do this? And you're like, no, dude, that's a dick move. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Also, I mean, you you led with the Black Mirror thing pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I saw that episode. I read that article about China. I'm not trying to fucking live in that world. I, want, I, I believe that it's, it's a better machine because everyone has equal footing. And yeah. I think that I don't see that ever change. I mean, we can talk a little bit about maybe in a little bit about like the future of these machines and where they might go. But that's something that for me would be a, a pretty hard line. One. Yeah. And, and I, it's interesting from a marketing perspective too, actually, from a client perspective, um, so many people that have used this machine have private accounts. I don't know so many, a lot though, have private accounts. And that was something that I thought about, um, cause people would say, oh, well, 
my account's private. And I'd say, okay, cool. Just like make it public and do the post and then like make it private again. No big deal. It'll work. And if you think about that from a marketing perspective, that's kind of interesting. Reaching all of these real people, actual real people who have private accounts and only their friends follow them. And here they are sort of like opening their walled garden, making this post and then closing it back up and like going back to their circle. And I think that's a really interesting premise from a marketing perspective. Um, you know, but then I think on the, on the same, you know, something in, along a similar line of that is somebody who creates an Instagram and doesn't have any followers. And uh, we actually got a DM from somebody that was like, you guys should limit people who don't have profile photos and like no followers because, you know, they're just like sucking up all the noodles. And I mean, you know, maybe that's true. They, maybe they're sucking up some of the noodles. But, you know, that might- interaction with a person like just because they don't have any followers and they just created this Instagram account to do this doesn't mean they're not a real person. And, you know, from a human standpoint, for sure. But even from a marketing standpoint, just because they don't have an Instagram. Well, there's so know, many people that have an Instagram account with one photo and it doesn't mean they're not real or not valuable. They use Instagram differently. Yeah. Like they may use it just to DM people yeah. or to follow the people that they like. So they're still accessing a community that they want to be a part of. They might not contribute it, contribute to it the same way others might. They don't have, they don't care how many followers they might have. But I think that's kind of the beauty of the machines and what kind of resulted out of the whole thing. And even beyond the community aspect of that, it, that's a person who had what you would think would be a favorable experience. If you were thinking about it from a marketing standpoint with the brand, right? If we're thinking about it from a human standpoint, it might have been someone who really wanted, who really needed or wanted some noodles. And this was a way for them to get it without paying. Like there's value in that experience for a person somewhere. And I think that's, you know, that's important. That's what we want. Right. Mic drop. Well, yo, boys, appreciate you guys. Congratulations on a really dope machine. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Appreciate you guys. If you haven't used the machine and you are in the L.A. or Vegas area soon, use them before they disappear. They're called the Food Beast Dream Machines. Hashtag Dream Machines. You can go find them. Shout out to Nissan Cup Noodles. Keep filling those machines. And until next week. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Bye.